Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And today we're talking with Neil deGrasse Tyson. His voice is the first thing you're going to recognize. First of all, also, he's an astrophysicist. He's a freaking astrophysicist. By the way, when we saw him on the docket, I was like, to Cal, who's our producer, I was like, Cal, he's really smart. He's smart enough to talk to this guy. Like, what are we going to talk about? You have him on a mom podcast? Okay, but this guy was absolutely amazing. So he was here theoretically to talk about his new book, Letters from an Astrophysicist. And I love that he said something the so many people want to know about is how to talk about spirituality, the idea of God or a spiritual being or whatever with their kids. And I think it's something that to hear a scientist's perspective on that when so often the two are made to seem like totally divergent opinions was really cool and just interesting to hear his thoughts on how to grapple with those huge questions of the universe and also with some of the very small, tiny questions of the universe that children ask. So this ending that he has is probably our most epic ending. Oh, yes. On top of it, his voice, because he's the voice of the planetarium at the Museum of Natural History. Mm -hmm. Um, So this ending is the most epic ending. Don't skip. Don't skip it. And now, (laughs) you get to share that, Neil. Mom, you have to introduce yourself. So, hi, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're a personal astrophysicist. And where can we find you and follow you? Oh, yeah, I tweet at Neil Tyson. Really random stuff. So don't, don't come to, oh, Tyson, he's an astrophysicist. I'll learn. No, you don't learn anything. I'm also on Instagram, but I'm Instagram as God intended Instagram to be. They're just art house photos that I've taken, but with some scientific caption. So, so on my Twitter page and Instagram, I don't do what so many other people do. They tweet or post where they are and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I will presume that you don't care or that you shouldn't care uh, <laughs> that I'm an educator and that's what that will be my role here. Uh, Facebook, I put postings on all manner of things. Um, so yeah, I have some, some engagement with social media and uh, 13 and a half million Twitter followers. That's a few people. That's that's a lot of people. So you're you have kids of what age? What are? They? Well, I have five, three, one, and newborn. Spanking brand new Spankin newborn. Spanking brand new, seven so weeks old today. Four kids. Four kids. This is like people built statues to you today. For, <laughs> four, four kids today is like I don't twelve know. kids a hundred years ago. I think ago. they're ready to right? send me to the wilderness because they think I'm crazy. <laughs> I think they. So I have six, four, three, one. What? I know. Are you some baby making women? Okay, so I feel like like old father time here. Mm-hmm. Allow me to give you some <laughs> some share your sage wisdom with oh, us. Are you ready for my sage wisdom? Okay. <laughs> You're going deeper on us. Too. I like the, the octave drop. I, really me. In. Uh, if I go sage, I got to go deep. Yes. All right. So here's the thing. Here's something no one is going to tell you. Okay. I'm betting. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm betting that when you take pictures, you take pictures of new achievements of your child. There's crawling, walking, talking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, eating, mm-hmm. With, and that's a picture. That's a picture moment. Don't do that. Don't do that. This is my advice. Okay. You, think of what you're doing. You're saying, "Look at how old my kid has gotten. Not old, but look at how how progressed. mature, how progressed." Let me capture that. No, that's not what you want. You want to keep oh, them little forever. So what you do is. The next time you take a picture of them, t- 
tell yourself, this is the youngest I will ever again have a photo of my child. Wow. They will never again be younger than this moment. And if you look at it from that perspective, then you can celebrate their youth rather than impatiently discard it, hoping that they get old. Because when there's a point when it's just too late. And they, I remember looking at pictures of my kids and I said, oh, they had baby fat. How come I didn't notice? I don't remember that. How do, how, why didn't I remember? I'm looking, I'm noticing it now. Had I had that inverted mindset, this picture I'm about to take is the youngest picture I will ever more take of this child. That will force you to celebrate their youth. I feel like I'm in the planetarium at the Natural History Museum. Oh, right no, now. Not, not ready to show. Yeah. I know we're big fans. We go there all the time. Oh. So, how can we get our kids interested in science? So, um, in in this book, letters from an astrophysicist. There's an entire chapter on parenting, and these are parents who wrote in, you know, with with challenges, issues with their kids, and how and and so a lot of these questions. Are, are, are coursing through every, everyone's sort of curiosity. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. By the way, I'm still researching this, and so some of this is still sort of in the oven, right? Because one day I might write a book on this. You have to invite me back. Yeah, day. well, okay, we okay, will. Okay, okay. <laughs> Only if you come more with more fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so what I say now, I, I, I need to think more about it, so it's a little bit... Half like, baked. We'll take the fledgling. It's, it's like half it. baked. It's ha- in the oven still. It's half baked. Okay. <laughs> uh, my thinking here is that children are born curious. What, what am I? I'm I'm an adult who's curious about stuff I don't know. I don't. I want to figure this out. Oh, I don't have enough tools. Well, get some tools. I can know a little bit more math. I got a little bit more chemistry. Now I can attack this problem. Try to figure it out. Children do that all the time. Now you have enough kids, so you know. You are not, unless you have 12 maids running after your children, you are not keeping a neat household. You, you have children, they are, they create entropy, great disorder mm-hmm. in wherever they are. And what is the, what does the disorder come from? It comes from an experiment they did. Uh, what is this glass? Let me take it and play. Oh, it fell. Okay, um, what is this tree? Can I pull the leave off? Oh, it broke. Can I? <laughs> am, am I right? This... We were experiencing that with painting, um, painting on the furniture yesterday. Yeah, oh, furniture yes. on the furniture. Well, oh, do yes. I, does paint stick to yes. this surface? Yes. It colors nice on this part. Oh. Should I color on here? Oh, yeah, it works out on my wall. Great. So when I was a kid, we had these uh, pipes coming through the room, which was the source of heat. There's just a pipe. It went the top below. Let me touch apartments. that. We're, we're New Yorkers. We're, we're, Connecting yeah. apartments. <laughs> so I remembered discovering that a crayon on these pipes, it just was so smooth. It was like, wow, the crayon wants to be here. It just wants to use more and more how'd of your, itself. How'd your parents feel about that? <laughs> I don't. Th- I think they they let us get away with it. Um, That's why you got to be so uh, maybe what I'm saying. So your job is not how do you stimulate. Uh, interest in science, it's how do you make sure it doesn't go away? And as parents, how, I mean, it sounds like- It's get, re- get ready for a mess. Get ready for a mess. I was in and Central embrace Park. embrace the mess. Embrace the mess. I was in Central Park coming home from uh, uh, um, the Shakespeare in the Park, mm-hmm. and it had rained a little earlier that day. It wasn't raining in that moment. I saw a woman walking down the, one of the walkways with a kid. He could, couldn't be more than six. And he had on a raincoat and boots. And it's a, Big, 
puddle. You really want the best right thing in the there. world. And I'm saying to myself, this kid wants to jump in the yeah, puddle. In puddle. Plus, it's kind of muddy, mm-hmm. right? And I, because in the middle of Central Park, stuff, you know, flows. So I said, please let this kid jump in the puddle. You know, he wants to do it. Let him jump. <laughs> let him jump in. And what did she do? Don't get in the puddle. Pulled him around the side of the puddle. So the kid lost out on this total experiment. What happens if I jump two feet into a puddle? This is an experiment in how you make craters. How do you think craters on the moon happen? Not by kids jumping in puddles, yeah. but something hits and it splashes and it makes a crater rim. So she did not want to clean dirty boots. That is should not be your mindset when you're raising children. Well, because then they then they learn the result of it, which is you're gonna have wet, soggy feet for until we get home. Correct. And, and there's no happens? better Nothing. experiment than what you conduct yourself. Right. You can say if you if you do that, this will happen today. And yes, you will want to circumvent things that might hurt them or kill them. You have to keep them alive. Beyond that, let them run. Let them be messy. And, and here's the best example. Best example I can give. It's it's more metaphorical as an example, but it works. Let's say there's an egg sitting up on the counter. And your kid is reaching for the egg. What do you say? No. Our kids, we let them grab the egg. So first of all, you know it will only end badly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a, you know this. Yes. So just start knowing this. <laughs> so they play with the egg. The egg eventually breaks and the yolk comes out. Okay. And the albumin or whatever the other stuff. Is. Okay. If you prevented that experiment, they wouldn't have learned the following things. There are things in the world that are hard but fragile. Most hard things are not fragile, okay? An egg is hard but fragile. Two, there's this gooey stuff in it. So you tell them, you know, that might have been a chicken. Whoa, what does that even mean? A chicken, how does that happen? So now there's a whole egg becoming the chicken thing, okay? Then you say, if you heat that, that transparent liquid, it turns white. Let's try it, okay? By the way, most things when you heat, they melt. You heat an egg, it turns solid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Think about it. You know, does ever stop and think about that? That's fascinating. Proteins. Proteins. The protein molecules are very long and they tie up and they So you not that you'll go that far with the kid, depending on their age. I'm just saying this entire experience, the chicken might have been in the egg. The egg is brittle. It breaks. It's oval. Okay. Here's one. You can't spin a raw egg. But sneak what hard boil one and pull one out of the face. This is your egg and your kid's got their eggs. You spin yours, it'll spin Ooh, like a top. devious. And, then, <laughs> and they'll think you have magic power, mommy's magic powers. Wait, was your wife on board with all of these okay. like, fun experiments so, so that my, she had to clean up? My <laughs> wife has a PhD in mathematical physics. Wait, stop so, it. So we are totally on board yeah. with this. Very smart. We were all in on this. So yeah. cool. Pretty much all in. I think there was some experiments she probably didn't want me to conduct on the kids, but most most were allowed. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's on par with like most dads out there. Then like the mother's like shaking shaking her yeah, head. It is. Yeah. Now now when you tell about the chicken inside the egg, because we did with I've had two experiences that made me slightly uncomfortable. The first one was uh, Rafa started trying to speak to the eggs because he was sure that there were going to be chickens in them and then we were not allowed to use them and crack Mm -hmm. them. That was number one. Number two, then it got into the whole thing, well, it's not fertilized. And they're like, well, what does that mean? Number three, then they start to be like, well, how did the baby get inside your belly, mommy? 
Um, and then that's, it just that's got into slope. The, there it goes. There's, no, like, there's no coming back. Yeah, after exactly. That. And then you just go to the point where you're like, I feel like this is too early to have this conversation. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's where that can get you down that road. Well, so let's yes, because that goes straight to sex. Yes, but there are plenty of lines of inquiry in this world that don't go to er, taboo areas too early, but do represent the furthering, the, the continual quest of the curious mind. Mm-hmm. Because a big mistake people make is they want to give them all the information at once, but that doesn't allow the curiosity to navigate. Mm-hmm. So the navigation will be, so let's say it didn't go that way. It was, well, uh, what's inside here? So I don't know, find out. And so then it breaks, well, what's that? Then it's a chicken. Well, how did that happen? Well, then the chicken lays the egg. Well, how did we get the egg? Wait, so there's a whole, there are other paths that could have right. gone. I'm they just saying the curiosity is their own energy to find an answer. And if you start laying out answers. You know, I th- I, this is making me think of um, when we were going through uh, you know the admissions process. My my oldest is in now in kindergarten. We were going through the admission admissions process to school. To school, and oh, because this is New York. This is because this is you the most insane to preschool. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, and your parents have to work really hard to figure <laughs> out preschool how, to, IQ how to write an essay about a four year old. That you know that sounds like he like he or she is Neil or your wife. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember the most compelling, amazing thing that one of the uh, educators and administrators said to us was. The only there there's something called non non cognitive skills that all kids are born with, and these are the only things you cannot teach a child. You can only foster them or crush them, and it's things like curiosity, mm-hmm. things like perseverance, things like um, uh, I you know whatever th- things of that nature where. They are inborn, like you said. They want to do these experiments. They want to. Te- they are testing everything. It's what it is to be human. Uh, yes, yes, everything is novel to them, mm-hmm. and they are trying to engage with it. And their attitude towards that engagement is born with them. And all we can do as parents is either foster it along and help them figure it out, or or take it away from them, as you said, because it's more convenient for us, or we're worried about them, or it could be dangerous, or whatever. And I think it's 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 fascinating how I you know I'm, I would I would kind of want to conduct this study of parent you know how how really successful passionate parents do or don't engender that same passion in their kids and i bet one of the consistent things would be i don't control them that i don't rein them in that much i let their impulse happen you free range children yeah how, where do you think the line is between because what i'll do with my kids a lot when we do different experiments or they ask different questions is for the longest time rather than just answering them is i'll ask them well what do you think well, what do you think? Of course. And then what happened? And then what happened? But uh, how much do you let them go down this magical world? Also, what do their brain comes up? What their brains come up with? You know, it's like fascinating. But then, where do you start to say, "Well, it's actually this, no, this, and this"? Just let it go. Just let it go. Let it go. Let them because believe that the day they figure it out, it'll be an epiphanic. Mm-hmm. You like that word? Mm-hmm. It'll be an epiphany to them the day they figure it out. So, I'll give another example that happened with my daughter. So, I'd like I wanted to make sure that they were also culturally aware and mm-hmm. socially aware. There's some other experiments I'll share with you that I did. But uh, one of them was, I, uh, as we're driving down the street, I wanted her to identify flags. Okay? Oh, there's one, there's one, there's one, and they're all different, they're all colorful, and they all have stories, and they're all fine. So we get to the American flag, and I said, um, how many stripes are on the American flag? And it's hard to count stripes while you have it's a flag moving. billowing. Right. Yeah, so I didn't. you don't rush it, you just let it go. Half hour later, <laughs> she said seven. 
Not 13. Okay. No. So we know the answer is 13. So the urge will be, no, nah, you got the wrong answer. Try again. Or no, it's 13 for the 13 original colonies. You'll end up correcting them. But no, you want to probe their mind. And you say, how did you get seven? That's what you do. Okay. And so she said, it's obvious there's seven. So here it was. Her assumption was the flag is a white sheet of cloth. Mm -hmm. And on it are seven red stripes. If I took a Sharpie on the back of a sheet of paper and, and drew seven lines, and I said, how many lines are there? You're not gonna say 13. Even though there's six white strips in between the seven black lines, mm -hmm. you're not gonna say 13. So I was deeply intrigued by this fact. And so what it means is certain questions, just because you know the answer in advance, by circumventing what could be that thought process, you'll miss another answer. Mm -hmm. Here's another one with my son. I try to get them to count early and count. So I, can, I said, count by twos. He said, okay, one. I said, no, no, count by twos. He said, I am. <laughs> he said, one. I said, all right. <laughs> so I'll just shut up. Go ahead. And he said, one, three, <gasps> five. <gasps> better than what I was expecting. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> so I would have squashed that if I'd said, no, you're wrong. It's two, four, six, eight, ten. And it's a completely legitimate, authentic, correct answer that wasn't what I was thinking. <laughs> All right. So and it's the same, of course his son did that. Of course. It's the same with the seven stripes on the flag. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so you don't jump in and give them the answer. Let it ride. Just let, unless it's going to hurt them, right? right? Just let, let it ride. And if it dangles there, it'll dangle there. They'll, one day they'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait. To, okay, I can't wait to see what where it goes when when they're like, no, my dad told me there's seven stars on this flag. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> no, no, I didn't agree or disagree. I just sort of said, okay. Yeah, that's, that's you leave that's it in the Right, right. You just let it, or you find out the answer together. You go online, you open yeah. a book. Yeah. That's you don't just also, hand out answers. That's what they're interested in as well. Is they, they were like, well, then let's look it up. I right. mean, it is in this day and age of being able to just look things right. up Google. all the time. Exactly. Um, I, and you want it to some mind blowing? This is when they're in their tweens, so eight, nine, ten. You can ask. There's some questions that don't actually have an answer, like um, how long is the coastline of England, that island, you know, the British island? Mm -hmm. How long is it? Well, the you get a map. No? You, you can get a map, and then you like maybe get a string and put it around because it's not a straight line, right? And then you unfurl it and you hold it up next to the to the, the scale, it's okay, it's this far. But wait a minute, suppose we had a bigger map. It would show more detail mm. along the coastline. Now I have to use more string to do that. How about a bigger map? Suppose I had a map the size of England itself. That's just walking along the coastline and moving a string, but, but wait a minute, tide comes in and out. Is it during high tide? Is it during low tide? Are you measuring around every pebble? But the water's constantly moving. There is no unambiguous answer to that question. You just have to accept some number 
established by some agreement about what size map you're going to use to measure the circumference of the British Isles. So I'm just saying there's a lot of things in life that are that way. But we have to have answers. There's a letter in this book about uh, uh, someone, there's some science quiz B, science B, rather like a spelling B, science B for these kids. And they use numbers from one of my essays that I had written about the universe, like how big the sun will get when it dies. Because when the sun dies, it will engulf the orbit of Mercury and Venus. It will become hugely bulbous and its heat will evaporate, will send our oceans into a rolling boil, evaporate them into the sky, into the atmosphere. The atmosphere will evaporate into space and we will be this charred ember as we, we descend. Move. Why would the sun die? It's uh, everything dies. Everything dies. Really? Nothing yeah. forever. But no, that's not true. What about what about uh, negative energy that like self self? You mean like a black hole? Yeah. No, but there's something. Wasn't there a death of a black hole or something? There was something. Well, black holes can there's... evaporate into nothingness. Um, so so what what I'm saying. But so, in all those like science fiction movies where they've got like the the chasm with the like negative ions that are making okay, so their like noises. There is an energy state where it can't get any lower. Okay. Than that, that's a pretty low energy state, and crystals are like that. Contrary to what crystal people. Like saying about crystals? Yes. Do you believe <laughs> in geodes? Are you those? Are you one of those? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were saying? I just the tip of the iceberg. You, we like you, all crystals. You were saying um, <laughs> crystals are like the lowest energy state of that molecular so configuration, so which, is, which is why you can dig salt out of the ground that's been there for millions of years. Because mm, they have the least amount of it's degradation. Like it, it doesn't have another energy state to go to. So it's stable in that form. Diamonds are stable. Are they forever? In that form. They're not more forever than quartz or salt crystals. They'll just live forever, basically. Almost forever. Hmm. They're not, but there's quantum fluctuations that prevent it from getting as low as possible. But that's just a detail. All I'm saying is that there's some questions for which there's no absolute answer. And... When you're a kid and you're always expecting everything to have an answer, to get to one that does not can be, that, that's, that's also epiphanic for a child. And slightly frighten, frightening sometimes. A little bit frightening, yeah. depending on how you raise them. Like you just kind of scared me right now. It's, but thing, it's a reality. You can't really be scared of reality. Really you can I got one for you. Ready? You how can't. tall are you? Uh, let's say five foot three. Okay. And how do you know that? Um, because that's more or less what I get when I get measured every single time. Okay, so you get measured and so uh, by the doctor, presumably, mm -hmm. and so they got this thing that comes yep. up and the thing comes up uh, over your head, head. Mm -hmm. and you flatten it down, mm -hmm. okay, and then they read the scale. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're bang on 5'3", mm -hmm. okay? But, but wait a minute. The, the three-inch indicator line has a thickness, has a width. Are you at the bottom of that, in the middle, or at the top? Probably at the bottom. <laughs> like just below. Okay. So you really five, two, and, and three quarters, eight, th nine. and three quarters. <laughs> yeah. But do we measure height the to the morning or the night? Because <laughs> I know or in I space. Just... You know, you grow in space a couple inches. Do you know spacewalk spacesuits are designed to be taller than the spacesuit that you launch in? Because, because you ha your spine in zero g, your spine expands. That's yeah. That's okay. Wait. So wait. Wait. So. All I'm saying is, your height is some agreed upon place on the scale that can never be known precisely. So then I'm very correct in saying I'm 5'3 ish. Ish is the, 
is the most Precise. sensible way <laughs> you can say this. That is, I'm going to have them write that on my license next time. We don't, we don't give height to each other in eighths of an inch, maybe a half an inch, rarely to a quarter of an inch. Yeah. We definitely don't give eighth of an inch heights. So the ish will put it in the eighth of an inch, but it's somewhere in there. But you can't say I'm exactly anything no. because you're not exactly anything. It's a measurement. These are things that the kids will learn. Um, our, we were boiling water and I, we had a thermometer. And I said, oh, can you tell me what temperature the water is? Now they got to learn how to read a scale if it's, a, if it's one of these, uh, if it's not digital. We're just reading numbers. they got to read a scale. Okay. So I said, what temperature? Oh, it's, uh, it's 120 degrees. Okay. So five minutes later. Can you check the temperature again? 135 degrees. Check it. 150 degrees. Check it again. They said, why do you want to keep checking it? Just keep checking. 180 degrees. Keep checking. 200 degrees. I said, is it boiling yet? No. Keep checking. 205 degrees. Is it boiling? No. 210 degrees. Is it boiling? No. Check the temperature. 212 degrees. Is it boiling? Yes. Okay, come back. Five minutes later. Check again. What's the temperature? 212. 212. It's still 212. It had been going up that whole time. Then it stopped going it's up. It's a resting place. It stopped going up. This is, infra- this is an amazing fact about the physical world. Now, you don't have to give a whole thermodynamic explanation for it, but they- I, be- ob- I think your kids wanted that. They, they <laughs> observe that happen. Yeah. And if later on they understand it, that's fine. But it's an observation about nature. It's the acuity of your attention span of what's going on. Also, what you learn from seeing with your own eyes or testing something or tasting something or whatever versus someone telling you it's true, it's exactly. completely different. And even if you don't learn it, there's a curiosity about not knowing it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm cool with that. So the whole, so, th- so this, is, this is how that, how that uh, unfolds. What is your belief in the connection between technology and math and science in terms of kids being able to easily access answers where in the past when we did not have this technology, we could we had to struggle a little bit more? Mm. And then so how much should we be making our kids do it the old fashioned way? And then but on the other side, technology has allowed us to explore more and more things. Yeah. So it's it, you have to navigate that. I don't think there's a clean answer. Um, there's there's a kind of mathematics they're teaching in elementary school. I don't know if it came and went or if it's still there. Uh, if your kids are taking tests to get into the place that they would take tests, I don't know what. <laughs> when, <laughs> when <you're... laughs> it's like paying for a credit card. <laughs> that's that's what I that's a learn early. <laughs> so uh, there was uh, the education resource company Turk. There's something called Turk math, which is very different from the math that older folk grew up with. Mm-hmm. When I grew up, it was like memorize your times table, right? Eight times eight, seven times seven. Memorize this, memorize that. Here's the exam. Turk approaches math very differently. It approaches it pictorially, intuitively. So I'll give an example. You ready? So you give the kid dice, paradise, and they have a chart. And on the bottom of the chart is the numbers 2 through 12. Okay, it's like an axis. And on the top is just numbers. So you say, roll the dice. Oh, what'd you get? An 8. Well, put a box over the 8. Okay, roll again. Get a 3. Put a box over the 3. And these boxes start getting filled in. And if you get a 3 again, you put that box on top. And the question is, what number will fill in and reach the top of the page first? It's called racing dice. And so everybody's, you're hoping your number's going to win. Yeah. I want 12s. Okay, oh, there's a 12. 
Seven wins every time. Really? Yes. There's the most combinations they get to seven? That's correct. One and six, two and five, three and four, four and three. Crazy. Five and two, six and one. Okay. I will never forget that fact. Tell me how many ways you get 12. One. Tell me how many ways you get two. One. That's so interesting. Right. Tell me how many ways you get a three. Three? No. Two? Two. <laughs> two and a one and a one and a two. Yeah. Right? And how many ways you get 11? 10 and one. Seven and six. No, there's no 10 on a dice. No, no. There's, oh, right. <laughs> oh, my God. We only got to six. Five, six and five, five, five and six. And five and six, right. So you get one in the extremes, then two. Oh, and they go seven in gets the most. But they don't know this yet. They're discovering it. I'm discovering. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to go back to fourth grade. <laughs> I don't play enough with dice. So, again, this is learning as discovery, not learning by rote. And uh, I made sure our kids understood probability. It's one of the greatest things that we don't don't absorb as as adults which makes us susceptible to gambling thinking well there hasn't been a, a three in a long time there's we're, there'll be a three mm-hmm. it's like no that's not how this works yeah. and you don't know how it works you you think that's how it works your brain is telling you that's how it works but you never learned how it works and so you fall victim to the casino that does know how it works period so what's your most frequently asked question uh is there god I wanted. To, I wanted. Sorry, that's not the first question. But anyone who asks a long set of questions will almost always land there. What do you use to help you answer that question? You got you to read the book. No, come on. <laughs> give us the give us the quickie. I'm just saying. <laughs> so tease there's 101 here. questions there. About a dozen are people wondering: Can God and religion be reconciled with science? They're, most of them are Christian based. Others are. There's one from a Jewish woman. Uh, there's a Muslim and Buddhist are in there. Mm. Uh, let me tell you about the the Jewish woman. She's uh, she's orthodox, or at least devout, and she says, I'm raising my 10-year-old child, and I'm doing what generations have done before me. I'm taking him to Hebrew school weekly so he can learn where he comes from and what his roots are. He's on the autism spectrum, by the way. This is all in the letter. And he said, recently he came home and said that he doesn't believe in God and that the Bible story just can't be true. And she said, well, how did you... Why, where did you get these ideas? And he said, from watching Cosmos. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I'm in deep trouble now. Sh- should I even keep reading this letter, okay, as host of that series? So I first spoke to Andrewian, who's one of the principal writers of that series, who's also Jewish. And I said, do you want to take this? Because these words, you know, most of the words I spoke were words you wrote. So do you want to, she said she was too busy, didn't, so it sat there on my table for like a year and I finally figured out how to answer it and because she she said I, I, I respect my son and I don't want to tell him something that's true that's not and about these Bible stories son, I basically I can't claim to fully believe them either and so can God and science reconcile I just want to be a good parent mm-hmm. that was the letter and so I wrote back to her and I said um, you know, you don't, how many years do you have raising him? 18 at most total. He'll spend most of his life under a different roof than you. By the way, it's not nothing wrong wanting to raise your kids in the religion that you are. Most people who are religious have a religion that matches that of their parents. It's very unlikely for you to be raised Christian and then you grow up and become Jewish or Muslim or raise Muslim and become Christian. It's just not, it's less likely. So they're more likely to grow up 
believing in no gods than in somebody else's mm-hmm. God. Right. All right. So I said that, and I said well, he's autistic. I have familiarity with autistic people. It's it's common, more common in my fields, the physical sciences, than I think most other places from the latest data I have seen. And so probably many of your parents listening, many mothers, will in your audience have some kids on some part of the spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I said this, I said, all right, um, you can raise him orthodox, but there's no guarantee he'll stay that way. So how about this? You could do what atheist Jews do. So what is that, an atheist Jew? It's someone who, who celebrates all the high holidays, but does not take any of the Bible stories literally. It just doesn't. They'll even leave an open chair for Elijah, okay? At the, at the Seder table over Passover in case, and unlock the door, allowing him to come in. This is part of the rituals of a, of a, of a Passover celebration. And they'll even do that. And you can ask, well, why would an atheist Jew do that? Well, because ritual formed some of the strongest binding forces of our culture. It's the seed and taproot of community. The fact that Catholics are all go to, you know, celebrate mass on Sundays or Muslims pray five times a day or uh, in the animist religions, they, they, uh, there's ancestor worship and, and common in the animists. The animists are typically the native culture. So the uh, Aborigines of Australia, Native Americans, um, Eskimos up, up there, up there, up, there, <laughs> up in Alaska. So... Uh, those tend to be animist. Uh, broadly speaking, there's very strong ancestor worship. And animism is a spirit embodiment of nature. My point is, rituals, you can participate in a ritual without any requirement that you think it's literally true. And rituals build community, and he's on the autism spectrum. That's what he's going to need. Right. That's what he's going to need work in, getting him to feel connected to people. So this is... Uh, this is how I replied, and I said, just rest assured that you can raise a wholesome, healthy, law-abiding child without requiring that he believe that Moses literally turned a staff into a snake or that manna actually fell from heaven. And, and, but keep him plugged into the beautiful traditions of the religion, and this will serve him well. Two years later... I got an invitation to his bar mitzvah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so she said he's developing very well. And he's still got that skeptical sort of um, autistic one-mindedness mm-hmm. about science and, and not Bible stories, mm-hmm. but that he's, he's participating in the rituals and he's part of the community and all is going well. And in fact, I'm giving a public talk in Atlanta where they live and they're coming to the talk. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I have to get her permission if I'm going to call them up on stage. Yeah. It'll be fun. But, but that's just an example of raising a child in a way that is not trying to force them into one thing. You allow them to go where they're going, but you guide it into, into places that can best serve what they need going forward. So climate change. Uh, my husband and I do a lot with the UN, and we just finished mm-hmm. UN Week, um, and we are. Why did she call to her husband? You don't keep talking about your husband. 
I, I don't, I mean, I feel like I'm, Alec, I'm talking about you. We both have that. And he's always like, I have to stop doing that. I have to, we're like, he's like my best friend. So we're like, okay, we're like yeah, doing stuff. Right, right. Um, so anyway, so we, we, we do a lot with climate change. Um, we're trying to help climate change, trying to reduce plastics and, you know, that whole kind of thing. Um, and what, as a scientist, what can we do more of? What is your outlook on all of these kinds of things? Are we doomed? Is there a reversal? <laughs> I feel like every single There's question a whole list is of questions. back to one of them is are, are we doomed? Are we doomed? <laughs> I mean, you leave you when we get sometimes you doomed. You look at you know. Uh, that might you want to lead with that one because that's, that's <laughs> the rest are irrelevant. Yeah, I'm not going to spend time answering ten questions and have the last one be are we doomed? <laughs> yeah, we're not, I'm not wasting that time. You realize you came to Mom Brain, where we only have to make sense a third of the time. A third so, of the time. Third oh, mom of brain. the time. Mom oh, Brain. That's right. You get it. Oh, now I get so we it. Had a, we had a genius idea where we can just we like kind of be like, the baby out. just <laughs> sucked out all, all half of, of your brain. All of it. So, uh, so where was it? Oh, uh, climate Are change. So let me give you a, a, an unorthodox answer. Okay. In my experience or my read of history, it's hard, if not impossible to get a hundred million people to change their behavior just by asking it of them without passing a law to do so. In a free society, that is. So if you want people to, everyone to become vegetarians because it's easier on the planet, or to stop using your car, or to, this is, in a free society, that's a hard sell. Yeah. So I can give you the list of things that have the biggest effect on your carbon footprint. I go down the list, okay? The number one is agriculture. The number one biggest footprint, it's, it's not your plastic straws in terms of, climate change. It's not that anyone ever accused plastic straws of climate change, but it, it's adds to it's the been pollution. A big thing, yeah. It's been, been an issue. Plastic in general, uh, not only plastic straws. Right. By the way, do you know what the very first straws were made of? Paper? Bamboo? Straw. 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 <laughs> I went to a smoothie place the other day and it had actual straw yeah, there yeah. to yeah, drink. Straw. And I was like, this isn't going to work because your smoothies, smoothies okay, are so Okay, but here's thick. the problem. What drives me a little bonkers is they hand you a, a plastic, plastic cup, cup with, with a yes. freaking paper straw. Yeah. Or a right. Paper. No, it's a, yeah. right. So this is part of the inconsistencies yes. of how people are reacting, that it tends to be... Um, sort of mob psychology mm-hmm. about what is the latest thing to hate right. or the latest thing to do. Right. So agriculture. So everyone, the simplest thing you could do is just become vegetarian and that you stop eating the cows and because the, the cow needs all this land to graze and it has to be irrigated right. and then you have to feed the cow and, and grow something else to feed the cow and then the cow then has to get transported someplace to get slaughtered and then that gets transported to someplace else and then that gets transported to your grocery store. Not to right. mention all its farts along and the way. Exactly. Oh yeah, yes, the yes, and burps. The, yeah. Yeah. Both, both ends. Four stomachs. Very significant. A lot going on. Yeah, a lot See, going on. Yeah, four <laughs> stomachs. <laughs> so that, that's like number one. So that cuts it right at the at the, at the, at the source of at like 80, 70% of the carbon footprint that we currently experience. Then there's electricity, um, electric car versus internal combustion engine car. So you can change your driving habit. Then but is it, actually, is it actually more energy efficient to have to create the electricity that charges your electric car than is to burn the, the fossil the fuels? No, no, so so it's that at the moment has a complicated answer because the energy to create the batteries, 
and the solar panels and all of this is huge. That itself has a carbon footprint. So right now, some of that is symbolic. That you're, And you have bragging rights. I drive an electric right. car, right? There's a little bit bragging rights there. Um, the battery technology is still messy. It uses materials that are not easily found. Some have to be mined. There's a cost to that. So full cost accounting of this... Um, it's not a full slam dunk, but it's a start. And it's a start because when you plug your car into the wall, do you know where that electricity came from? No, you don't know and you don't even care. It could have come from wind, solar, coal, oil, nuclear, hydroelectric. It could have come from any of those sources. Right now, you put gas in your car, it comes from the Middle East or some other place. Mm. It's a strategic commodity that you're putting gas into your car. And that affects global politics. If you plug your car into the wall, oil and coal may be one of the places that electricity comes from, but it's not the only place it can come from. And you don't care because electricity looks the same no matter what generated it. So when you have the option of what to charge your car with, Rather, the electric company can bid against the oil. Uh, no, that's too expensive. These barrels are $100 a barrel. I'm not paying $100 a barrel for oil to run the electricity. Let's invest that in solar panels or in wind turbines. So all of a sudden, your car, rather than having six different engines that run on six different kinds of fuel, you have one battery system that gets whatever the power is that comes out of the wall. So that is the future. If, if we're going to have any kind of future at all. And so we have to lean in that direction. And pe people in the business know this. Generally, in these kinds of movements, the people with means do it first yeah. because they can afford it. Mm -hmm. And so they can afford the sim they can justify the symbology of it. I have solar panels. I'm charging a solar car, a, a battery car, and that'll force filling stations to have electric pump, you know, electric electric. Um, that's charge, stations. Charge, charge stations. Yeah. It'll pop up more charge stations, and then maybe we can get a cheaper car than the Tesla Model X, right. which last I checked was one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. That's the cost of a Maserati, right. right? If you can just do that, then you're not worried about saving the pennies on the solar panels right. from the from the gap from the. Uh, we need to create a system that is that is more a economic. much more deeply embedded system, yeah. economic system, and but it needs the first adopters. Now that I've said all of that. Mm. As a scientist, I have a slightly different outlook, which is... We're doomed. <laughs> uh, you go back 100... Uh, no, go back 150 years, they're like whaling ships mm -hmm. off the coast. This is like the largest creature the world has ever known, and we're slaughtering them. Why? For candles. For candles. For heat, heating lamps, light and candles. We were killing these creatures. There was... A movement back then to stop killing the creatures. Well, that's not going to happen. We need it for energy. When did it happen? When did we stop killing them? When we found oil in the ground. Well, that's cheaper. I don't have to risk lives out on a boat fighting a Captain Ahab or whatever the <laughs> novel is. My point is, okay, we stopped killing whales when a cheaper, safer solution arose. So people are motivated by the cheapness and the easiness of it. Correct. They want a better option. 
Correct. You're not going to get someone who shops at Walmart hoping that something's on sale for nine ninety nine mm-hmm. to get solar panels on their house right. if it doesn't pay back in the next couple of years. Right. They don't have the luxury to wait 50 years right. for, the, right. for it to pay back. So what may be true is that the future of all this is geoengineering. What's that? We control nature. You want rain over here? Seed this, you get rain. Uh, you need... Uh, you have too much water, we subtract something out, put in a reflector, you take away the water. Oh, um, there's about to be an earthquake over there. Let's go in, tap the stress energy of the continental plates, and give that energy to this power station. There's a hurricane ready to build. Let's put uh, a, an energy-sucking device in the cyclone that will take out the wind speed and use that energy to drive the power needs of the city that it might have otherwise leveled. We're burning oil and putting carbon dioxide in the air. Let's create these carbon dioxide scrubbing machines that air goes through, carbon dioxide is removed, it gets buried, burn all the oil you want. How feasible is all this? <laughs> Sign up for it. The question is what's more feasible? Convincing 100 million people to do what you want them to do who are politically and culturally and economically opposed to you and everything you stand for, or stimulate innovation where someone comes up with these as inventions. And gives jobs to people, because it all comes down to jobs. jobs. Correct. Right, can you you put money in their pockets by 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 creating and doing the right thing? Can you 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 birth another industry that can solve this problem? Can you birth Because we already have nine. <laughs> 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 Your turn. <laughs> so in the uh, 110 years ago or so, there was a uh, there was something people calculated that we are, have an impending manure catastrophe mm. in New York. Okay? Yes. All transportation is by horseback. Okay? Taxi cabs are horses. A horse carrying a cab. That's what a cab was. It's what you got in and the horse pulled it. All trucks were horse-drawn, multiple horses. Horses poop in the street. Somebody comes behind at the end of every day and scoops it up. It's useful for agriculture, you know, for Mm -hmm. fertilizer. But at some point, you have too much. What do you do? You take it from here and you put it on a side street and then wait for to cart it away from that side street. New York City got so densely populated that the effort... To move the manure to a to a to a staging location, and and then cart it out of the city, involved as much horse pooping as what they ended up removing in the first place. Mm. It was called a manure catastrophe because it takes horses to take them out. So all the horses you need to take out the manure of other horses, they leave their own manure behind. So. What do you do? Plus, the manure is a sanitary problem. There were no supermarkets back then. There were fish merchants in the street. Everybody was a street merchant. And there were flies everywhere. And there were flies when I grew up. There was even more flies when my parents grew up. We're all with three, three generations New Yorkers. So what do you do? Do you give the horse some kind of feed that will make it hostile to fly larvae? That'll help that thing, but they still got to poop. Do you feed them some other food that gives them less poop? So everybody's brilliant people are thinking about this. The solution was the car. Yeah, but then that car poops too. The car poops what too. Because what goes in must <laughs> come out poops. with everything. That is, okay. that is a sentence that's probably never been uttered in the history of the world. Really? Your car poops too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've read a book. I'm sure, I know. I'm, I'm sure all of our poops. parents at home, everybody poops. We, we all have that book. I but, do want to know, are we doomed? 
Because I feel like the answer no, is no. Doomed. We're, we're not the, doomed. The answer is no from that whole thing. We, it depends on how clever we are yes. so that we become better shepherds of our own fate. There we go that. And then what was the thing about the humans? What kind I'll, of humans? I'll tell amazing. you. Uh, well, oh, yeah. Real quick. You ready? Yes. Okay. Did you see the film or read the book, um, The Da Vinci Code? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. In it, one of the premises is that there's one living descendant today from Jesus in, in um, from Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and they're protecting because this is a sacred lineage. So there are two things wrong with that. One, if Jesus has any descendants at all today, after 2000 years, he will have millions of descendants. Yeah. It goes to zero or it goes to millions. It doesn't hover around some small, low other number. So most people ultimately will have no descendants, okay? The, uh, nowadays we have some medicines to fix this, but think historically, you could be a man and you're impotent. You will never have a child, okay? You could be a woman who is otherwise infertile. You will never have a child. You could be a man who is gay and just can't stand, you know, or, or, right? or a woman doesn't who want to, doesn't yes. want to. Mm-hmm. That is the end of your genetic lineage forever, forever. Okay, you can have a person, you can have a kid, and then the kid dies before they have a they have a baby. Okay, so watch. Wait, but this. why can't it be one? If he, if Jesus had one child, who had one child, who had one child, who had one child. The statistics don't work that way. It rapidly goes because one of those kids will be gay, or 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 die in childbirth, or something is going to happen that breaks that line, that takes that to zero. All right, so here's the point. Most people alive today are traceable from very few family lineages when you go far enough back. That's my point. If you look at um, there's very low genetic diversity in the Far East, and you look at how the Far East populated, it was like like Genghis Khan has probably a billion descendants. Well, he was a pig. Okay, so he got around billion yeah. descendants. Yeah. And so from one, that, and that's relatively recent. I'm not going back 10,000 years, going back, you know, when was Genghis Khan? Uh, 1,000 years ago. So uh, my point is, uh, the two of you combined, yielding nine children, and we live in a day where they'll all survive, right? They're in a, the childbirth death. You will survive childbirth. Probably one of you would have been dead 100 years ago because... Pushing out that many babies, finally one of them is going to kill you. Okay, go. To, have you walked old cemeteries and look at? Yeah, the, and there's yeah, some where the baby and the mother are buried yeah. together because oh they both died in childbirth. Because you see the baby, and sometimes the baby's not even named because it wasn't christened. So in in the Christian cemeteries, so it's not actually officially named by then. So it's very sad. Not enough people revel in the value of modern medicine and science keeping us alive and healthy. So all I'm saying is the two of you, um, if we go far enough in the future, it's possible that the two of you could become the sole progenitors of every living human at some distant point in the future. Mom brain taking (laughs) over the world. (laughs) I'm just saying that's possible. So do you remember the story about that they found the, the, the mitochondrial Eve, the one woman who who all humans are descended. If you remember this story, yeah, it's a I new do. story yeah, yeah, about 15 years, 10, 15 times. years ago. And the religious community got all excited about that because, oh, they found Eve because they called it the mitochondrial Eve. It's not Eve. 
what was going on is she's there and there's thousands of other humans. None of their descendants are alive today. That's the point. You can go back and things narrow very quickly. Interesting. All right? If all 7 billion people today had two parents, that would make 28 billion people who begat the 7 billion who are here today. And those 28 billion would have two parents. Mm -hmm. That would be 56 billion people above the 28 billion, above the the the, the, the 14 billion, above the 7 right. billion. But we've had fewer exactly. in the past. We so. have fewer in the past than today. So there's rapid convergence of parenthood. So one of my letters in here where they're asking me, do I want my genealogy done to show up on a TV program? I said, no, I have an active disinterest in my genealogical past. They said, well, why? Because we're all related. It's not just, our, our, you know, what, who are your family members? If you go far enough back, everybody has a common ancestor. Mm -hmm. not, this, not, not only everyone together, any two people has a more recent common ancestor than all of us do. And it's arbitrary where you draw the family line. It is arbitrary. Here in America, you say, well, what are you? I don't know any other country where that sentence has meaning, but has meaning in the United States. You say, oh, I'm Italian. Well, where were you born? Hackensack. Okay, where, where were your parents born? Brooklyn. Where were their parents born? Italy. So I'm Italian. <laughs> okay. yeah. So they went back to a point. You keep going back, it all goes to Africa. So, so you either go all the way back. Or don't go back at or all. Or don't go back at all. And, 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 Wait, but well, you have to come and back. And take everybody <laughs> and you bring, I know <laughs> we we're going so over time. And you just, so what I said was, I don't go back to see where I want to stop and say, oh, I have ancestors in, in, in royalty or anything else. I'm not, I'm not playing that. I'm not going there. Um, I, to me, I'm related to all humans because all humans have common DNA. And if I want to know what I'm capable of achieving, I'll look at the, at the, the, the brilliance of Isaac Newton, the courage of Joan of Arc, the, the compassion of Mother Teresa. I look at these people throughout time and space and say, I'm capable of what they have achieved because we are both human. We're, we're connected. And that's what I love. We are connected. everybody talks about diversity and diversity is amazing and it's wonderful to see our differences and stuff like that. But we're so much more diff more similar than we are so different. Correct. Think about this. My and that's why there's an entire set of letters in here. And we fight so much because everybody's like, that. oh, well, but you're different. Well, you're different. Variety instead of diversity. If diversity is like divisive, like you're separate. No, it became divisive. Yeah. It didn't, wasn't always divisive. Right, that's what I mean. But variety might become div divisive yeah. as well. What you're saying is everyone wants to be special by being different, but often being special by being different comes with the baggage that you're better than someone else. So the lesson here, I think, is what we learn from a cosmic perspective and there's a whole cosmic perspective place to go in this book because it's where so many of the answers came from in their roots. A cosmic perspective is knowing that the atoms of your body are traceable to stars that have lived out their lives, manufactured those elements, exploded and scattered them into the galaxy. And out of that enrichment forms star systems that contain these elements that are the ingredients of life itself. So that when you stand outside at night and look up, you should not say to yourself, I am different from the universe. No, we're one in the same as the universe. Not only are you alive in this universe, the universe is alive in you. 
It's alive. Move faster. (laughs) I mean, it's it's alive within us all so that you are special, not because you're different, but because you're the same. And that's the cosmic perspective I carry with me every day of my life. So good. So good. Okay. Uh, We have to ask you your favorite thing. What is is something you're really into right now that we can link to and we can tell our, our, our listeners? Can I bring us back full circle from all the tangents? Yes. Okay, what's your favorite food? If I could only choose one set of foods that I had to eat every single day of my life from now until I arrived at Mars nine months later, okay, the Mars mission, it would be pepperoni pizza and a strawberry malted shake. Ooh. What's your favorite brand of malt? I can, uh, Carnation. I don't know any other, anyone else yeah, who I sells think. it. Yeah. Um, Where do you get your pizza? Well, a Joe's Pizza just opened up right near me. Come I, on. Now I'm totally so Joeing. Good. My favorite. I'm totally Joeing my pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fact. All right, guys. Wasn't that amazing? That was Neil deGrasse Tyson. That was so amazing. I loved every okay. minute, every one of our 999 okay. now we, minutes now we, now we can say, now we're going to say okay, what tell you about, thought. No, tell okay. him. Okay, the idea that we're all stardust. I mean, you guys just heard it yourself, so I'm not going to repeat it. So we're all obsessed with genealogy right now. And that we like stop at a certain place. But then like if you go back, then we're from Africa. And then before Africa, we're stars. Stardust. Yes. Yes. Therefore, we are all the same. We, I mean, we have like our little like diverse things, but ultimately we're all much more similar than we are different. And then going back to the whole spirituality thing, we're all one with the universe. Yes. And now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite thing. Yes. Okay. So this week, my favorite thing is The Game Changers. This is a movie that... Um, I will tell you my husband saw before I did and he and my parents went and saw this movie, The Game Changers, and it is a movie all about veganism, essentially plant-based diets, but they do it in a way that appeals to men primarily. So they they study all of these um, you know, major elite athletes. It's produced by Arnold Schwarzenegger and Novak Djokovic. So people who are, you know, have been and are at the top of their physical athletic careers. Um, and they go through and show the way that a plant-based diet changes almost overnight, it sounds like, your body chemistry. My mom was telling me about this, which was interesting. I haven't seen the movie yet, which is which is, you know, whatever, take it for what it is. So I'm but I'm curious about this. They measure erections in their sleep. They measure both girth and duration of these men who are eating with a rubber band, which sounds horrible. But who is doing it? The the scientists who volunteer for this study. So they no, they have this like band that measures Ah, it as it expands. And it was the, like somebody like, oh, he's like, yeah, right like, oh, let me just come in here with my string and my tape. No, they, <laughs> this is why we are not scientists. <laughs> but they um, they measure these erections and the, the guys who are not eating um, uh, meat are have longer duration and bigger girth and all. The, again, it all has to do with blood flow. It all has to do with your body's ability Tiffany, to repair itself. So funny. I'm really like mesmerized. I'm t- I'll tell you I'm mesmerized. I'm mesmerized, A, because overnight it changed multiple guys that I know their opinion of well I thought you have to have meat to like bulk well, up I thought you, you bring have up to erections have... all of a sudden they're all going to jump that's on board that's what I mean it was like so genius <laughs> that they like figured out what guys are going to care about but also um but also that you know they said they're like look at look at elephants look at like all these huge the strongest animals in the world and they're strong from grass yeah. they're strong from leaves so 
check it out, guys. It's called I'm, The Game I Changers. I want to go see it. I haven't seen it. I've heard about it, but I'm not going to. I haven't it's seen it. It's on digital. It's also, it's great because I, like you guys are like me. I haven't been to actually see a movie in a theater in a very long time, which is why my whole family saw the movie and not me. Um, but it's on. Um, you can watch it online right now. So there you go. Mine is a really like unimaginative things, but something I get asked about all the time is what my phone case is. Yes. So my phone case, which is, it's very pretty. It's tortoise shell. It's a Sonics phone case. But my kids throw my phone all the time and it has so far, knock on wood, has not broken. I do have the, the screen protector on it that I am determined to have at all times. And sometimes the screen protector gets like a little bit, um, you know, broken and then I just replace it with a new one. But um, but yeah, the Sonics phone case, if for all of you guys who are always asking me um, what my phone case is, that is what it is. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to uh, rate, review, subscribe. Find us on Instagram. Find us on YouTube. Email us, mombrainpod at gmail.com. Um, send all the things that you want to hear about. We we love hearing from you. Even if it's just like, hey, I'm really enjoying this. Or like, hey, I'd like to have a little bit more of this, that, and the next thing. We absolutely love that kind of um, feedback. And spread the word. <laughs> Let your friends know. Make our community even bigger because it's just getting to be absolutely amazing. Yay. Uh-huh. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production. <laughs>